There's a big difference. Taylor Swift was no, 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 no. We're not going to talk about Taylor Swift. Not even once. Not on the whole show. Get over it. Shake it off. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. We've got some news from Oregon today. Uh, where was I? Uh, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Fairmont, West Virginia on WEFR, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com, where we are celebrating this week 20 years of muckraking and troublemaking at the blog and here over your public airwaves. We Thank you in advance for helping us celebrate by hitting one of them donate buttons over at bradblog.com. Uh, donation for 20 bucks, 20 for 20, let's call it. How's that? <laughs> there you go. Uh, we will, uh, again, thank you in advance. Uh, anyway, welcome to the Bradcast. As we go to air today, we are still waiting for two, at least two, major court rulings to be handed down, both of which at this point are surprisingly late, or at least later than expected. One, of course, is a ruling from the three-judge panel on the U.S. Court of Appeals in D.C. in response to Trump's ridiculous claim that he cannot be tried in federal court as scheduled this March or ever because uh, for his various efforts to steal the uh, 2020 election, including inciting the January 6, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, because as his argument goes, presidents have complete and absolute and total criminal immunity for any and all crimes that they commit while serving as president. That's his actual argument, including, as his attorneys uh, argued to the uh, at the uh, January 8th, I think it was, emergency hearing on this matter, if a president were to order SEAL Team 6 to murder his political opponents, there is nothing that the law could do about it. In other words, according to Donald Trump, it would be perfectly legal for President Biden to order Donald Trump's assassination today. 
Well, I think what he's thinking is that once Trump gets to be president again, there will never be any other president. So there's no worry about it applying to anybody else. Yeah, well, if it applies right now, then guess what? It applies to Joe Biden, who gets to do anything he wants, including kill Donald Trump totally <laughs> legally. I didn't say he'd thought it through. Ah, uh -huh, well. Anyway, it's obviously it's an absurd claim, but that's the one that Trump is making. And until a decision comes down from the uh, three-judge panel on the D.C. Court of Appeals, the federal trial scheduled uh, to begin on March 4 is on hold. The other major court ruling that we are still waiting for that uh, could be coming at any minute at this point is the verdict from New York State Superior Court Judge Arthur N. Goron in the $370 million civil fraud suit filed by the state of New York against Trump, his companies, his top executives, including his two eldest sons, for massive bank fraud, bank tax, and insurance fraud after it was found that Trump inflated the value of his assets by billions of dollars over the past decade in order to uh, commit this fraud. He and his companies and his sons have already been found liable for the bulk of the charges, and we are now waiting for the final verdict on what the penalties will be for the uh, damages, and in addition to $370 million that the New York Attorney General is seeking, she's also seeking to ban Donald Trump from the real estate business in New York forevermore. And... She's asking for a similar ban uh, for his sons, Eric and Don Jr., to do business uh, in New York in uh, the real estate industry for five years. Judge Ngoron, at the end of the trial earlier in January, had said that he expected to issue his ruling by the end of that month. Nonetheless, a new month has now begun, and as of airtime, still no ruling from the judge has been released. Again, as I say, I expect that to change any moment, but that's where we are as we start the show, Desi Doyen. Yep. But despite the delays in those two matters, it doesn't mean we have to go a day without terrible legal news for Donald Trump. It is still, after all, a day that ends in Y. <laughs> so a judge in London on Thursday threw out a lawsuit filed by the former president that had accused former British spy Christopher Steele of making, quote, shocking and scandalous claims that were false and harmed Donald Trump's reputation. Judge Karen Stein, however, ruled the uh, case that Trump filed against Orbis Business Intelligence, that's Steele's firm, should in fact be dismissed, finding, quote, there are no compelling reasons to allow the claim to proceed to trial. Oh, sad. Orbis uh, Business Intelligence was founded by Steele, who created a dossier in 2016 containing uncorroborated allegations that caused a political storm just before Trump's inauguration, after he had already won the 2016 election. So, no, it wasn't used to try to keep him from winning. Trump claimed the dossier was fake news and part of a political witch hunt. <laughs> How unusual. And uh, he sought damages in this case from Orbis for allegedly violating British data protection laws. He will, however, get no such award, apparently, as the case was tossed on Thursday. Steele, who once ran the Russia desk for Britain's MI6, its intelligence, uh, secret intelligence service, 
was paid by Democrats and Republicans during the 2016 presidential campaign to compile opposition research that included salacious allegations that Russians purportedly could have potentially used to blackmail Trump. At a hearing in late uh, in London in October, Trump's lawyer said the former president filed his lawsuit over two memos in the dossier that claimed he had taken part in, quote, sex parties in St. Petersburg and consorted with sex workers in Moscow. Attorney Hugh Tomlinson said the former president had suffered, quote, suffered personal and reputational damage and distress. Well, hmm, I guess he has some idea of what folks like writer E. Jean Carroll may have been going through that uh, who Trump was found unanimously by two different juries to have defamed and, yes, caused reputational damage and distress to the tune of 90, some $90 million in compensatory and punitive damages. Well, now he has some idea, I guess, what she must feel like, eh? Or how courageous Atlanta election workers Ruby Freeman and her daughter Shay Moss must feel after Trump repeatedly lied about them having stolen the 2020 election in Georgia, which Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, was recently ordered to pay them uh, about $148 million in damages for. The uh, attorney, Trump's attorney Tomlinson in, uh, in London said the dossier, quote, contained shocking and scandalous claims about the personal conduct of President Trump and included allegations he paid bribes to Russian officials to further his business interest. Sounds plausible. In a written uh, witness statement, Trump said the allegations were, quote, wholly untrue, despite Steele's assertion that, in fact, they never were actually disproven. Trump said he had not engaged in, quote, perverted sexual behavior, including the hiring of prostitutes in the presidential suite of a hotel in Moscow or taken part in sex parties in St. Petersburg, bribed Russian officials or provided them with, quote, sufficient material to blackmail me. Those are the claims that Steele noted uh, in the case had never been disproven. Trump also said he had not bribed, coerced, or silenced witnesses, but I do appreciate that he has allowed us to remind everyone of what tens of millions of Americans found to be quite plausible allegations, even if not all of them were eventually proven to be true or false. Orbis uh, Steele's uh, business argued that the lawsuit should be thrown out because the report was never meant to be made public, it was published, however, by BuzzFeed without the permission of Steele or Orbis. It also said the claim was filed too late. The judge agreed, finding that Trump had, quote, chosen to allow many years to elapse without any attempt to vindicate his reputation in this jurisdiction since he was first made aware of the dossier back in January of 2017. Orbis attorney Anthony White argued during last year's hearing that Trump had a, quote, deep and intense animus against Steele and the firm, as well as, quote, a long history of repeatedly bringing frivolous, meritless and vexatious claims for the purpose of vexing and harassing perceived enemies and others against whom he bears a grudge, unquote. And, yep, also sounds quite plausible. So the case was tossed in London on Thursday 
And it wasn't the first time that Trump has lost a lawsuit filed in rage in the wake of the Steele dossier. A U.S. federal judge in Florida back in 2022, I know it's difficult to keep up with all of these uh, similarly dismissed vexatious lawsuits from, uh, from Donald Trump, but a similar uh, case against Steele, as well as uh, his 2016 rival Hillary Clinton and former top FBI officials, rejecting his claims that they helped concoct the Russian investigation, were also dismissed summarily. That was also another enormous waste of the money of Donald Trump's supporters. And another court loss for inveterate loser Donald Trump. Those supporters who keep shoveling money to Trump's campaign only to see it used for his mountain of legal woes and his tossed out lawsuits against other people. Well, they got a fun update on how their money is being conservatively spent by the Trump campaign on Thursday because, you know, they pretend to be so-called conservative. So how's that fiscal conservative uh, conservatism coming, folks? Former President Donald Trump and his affiliated committees spent about $27 million on lawyers' bills and related legal fees in the last six months of 2023. That, according to new federal election filings, bringing the total for a year that included four separate criminal indictments for the former president to almost $50 million from his political committees. $50 million from... Donors, supporters, yes, chumps and suckers and dupes and patsies who thought they were supporting Trump's run to be elected president again in 2024, but who are actually paying Trump's legal bills for having been found to be a rapist and a real estate fraud scam artist, not to mention to defend his attempts to steal the 2020 election in two different felony cases, to uh, having stolen thousands of the U.S.'s most highly classified national security documents upon leaving office and having paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in hush money while serving as president because he needed to uh, cheat to win the 2016 election, apparently. Uh, and so he had to cover up a secret sexual dalliance with a porn star. Well, that's money well spent, suckers. Well done. But legal bills to fight all of that. How are you enjoying that red MAGA hat, you dopes? Trump's uh, political fundraising uh, apparatus is sprawling as NBC reports on Thursday, but the new filings show that the price of lawyers is weighing him down. His PAC, the Save America PAC, that's just one of the, uh, the PACs that Trump uses and abuses to raise money. Save America PAC spent $24.3 million on, quote, legal consulting in the last six months of 23, according to the FEC filings made available on Thursday. That uh, includes payments to firms that include lawyers like John Lauro, who's representing him in the uh, case related to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Todd Blanche, who also represented Trump in the New York hush money case. Alina Haba, everyone's favorite, who, because she brilliantly represented Trump in the defamation case filed against him by E. Jean Carroll. 
which has cost him nearly $90 million in compensatory and punitive damages. Where do you think he's going to get that money to pay that off, suckers? And she has also represented him at a number of his criminal arraignments. I'm sure that'll work out well. More Elena Haba, please. Save America ended the year with just $5 million in cash banked away after having spent more than $35 million in total in the second half alone of 2023. That is almost as much as it raised. Almost all of that on Trump's legal bills. On top of the legal spending from Save America, another Trump-affiliated group called Make America Great Again PAC well, they uh, they spent another two and a half million on additional legal bills in the second half of 2023. Trump's companies previously reported having, I'm sorry, Trump's committees previously reported having spent more than 20 million dollars on legal fees in the first half of 2023. Moreover, a fund to cover the legal fees for some of Trump's aides, well, they raised more than 1.6 million from July to December. According to the filings, there are more than 47 identified, 47 uh, legal firms identified as recipients in these uh, filings. And those were just the expenditures from the last part of 2023. Wow. So Trump is really making lawyers' bank accounts great again. There you go. In 2024, when you know... He'll be defending himself in four different criminal cases and or trials. Well, the expenditures are expect, expected to be, the legal expenditures are expected to be much higher. So that's where your money is going when you donate to Donald Trump, folks, to uh, so far completely unsuccessful legal fights meant to cover up his many and vast crimes, frauds, sexual deviances, and more smartly done. Keep up the great work. For the record, President Joe Biden entered the election year with nearly $46 million in cash on hand in his main campaign committee, compared to the $5 million said to be on hand in Trump's Save America PAC, though he has other ones as well. And, of course, uh, Trump is still spending money in hopes of dispatching his last remaining rival for the GOP nomination, former Southern uh, South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Just for the record, uh, zero money... That has been donated to our work via bradblog.com over the past 20 years. <laughs> via bradblog.com slash donate. Uh, we're, this week, as I noted, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. Zero of that money has been used to fight criminal allegations <laughs> for civil suits or, or civil suits or, or things like fraud, defamation or rape. Because, you know, I believe in transparency. So I just wanted to mention that. All of that, of course, assumes that Donald Trump will actually be the Republican presidential candidate on the ballot this November. As you know, he will also have attorneys arguing at the U.S. Supreme Court next week that his uh, eligibility to run for president, uh, that he is eligible to run for president despite rulings by the Colorado Supreme Court and Secretary of State in Maine, that Trump is actually disqualified from public office and barred from running under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which disqualifies previous office holders from holding office 
after they have engaged in an insurrection. So that argument's coming up before the courts uh, February 8, I believe it is. We'll see how that goes. And uh, I guess Trump's donors will just keep shoveling money to his attorneys to defend him there. But in Oregon on Thursday, a whole bunch of state Republican lawmakers were also banned from running for office in 2024. And not necessarily, well, not for the engaging in insurrection under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, but engaging in sort of an erection, <laughs> insurrection, excuse me, sort of an insurrection, because they were able to stop official government proceedings in the great state of Oregon for weeks on end. The Oregon Supreme Court said Thursday that 10 Republican state senators who staged a record-long walkout last year to stall bills that would have expanded abortion rights, transgender health care, and increased gun safety cannot run for re-election this year. Ten of them. I believe there's only, uh, is it 11, 12? I believe there's 12 Republican uh, Republicans in the state Senate. Ten of them are not allowed to run next year. According to the Oregon Supreme Court on Thursday, the decision upholds the Secretary of State's decision to disqualify the senators from the ballot under a voter-approved ballot measure aimed at stopping such walkouts that are meant to grind legislative work to a halt due to a lack of a quorum, etc., Measure 113 was adopted by voters in 2022, and it amended the state constitution to bar lawmakers from re-election if they have more than 10 unexcused absences. Well, last year, so that was passed in 22, and then Republicans decided to boycott again in 2023. Last year's boycott after, after the overwhelming passage of this measure by Oregon voters. That boycott lasted six weeks, the longest in state history. It paralyzed the legislative session. It stalled hundreds of bills in 2023. That came after the vote in 22, where the measure was adopted by voters by a landslide, 36 points. It passed 68% yes to 32% no. So voters set that boundary. Republicans knew about it, and they tested it anyway. They broke it anyway. And it wasn't the first time. Uh, there have been Republican walkouts in the state legislature in 2019, 2020, 2021, which is why they uh, passed that constitutional measure in 22. And then apparently, again, last year, after the amendment had been overwhelmingly adopted by voters, they decided to walk out for six <laughs> weeks. They decided to F around and find out. Exactly. Despite the uh, constitutional amendment, five lawmakers, among the 10 that had racked up more than 10 absences, sued the Secretary of State's, uh, over the Secretary of State's decision to disqualify them from the ballot based on the new amendment. I won't get into the weeds here, but they were trying to claim that the language of the amendment was unclear and that voters instead actually meant to bar them from running for their next term 
after the upcoming term. In other words, if they missed more than 10 days during this term, then they get to run again anyway for the next term, but after that, they're barred from running. Yes, that's the argument they made, <laughs> and it's as ridiculous as it sounds, and apparently the Oregon Supreme Court agreed. Quote, we obviously disagree with the Supreme Court's ruling, said Senator Tim Knopp, the uh, state's Republican minority leader. He's also one of the senators who sued because he's barred now from the 2024 ballot. But more importantly, he said, we are deeply disturbed by the chilling impact this decision will have to crush dissent. To crush dissent. They disagreed with legislative measures from their colleagues in another party. And instead of making their case with voters or trying to find compromise with their political opponents, instead, they ground the entire legislative process to a complete halt for weeks on end. And not on one single, you know, an existential issue that they felt they had to fight for, but pretty much just to block everything that the Democratic majority had on the normal legislative agenda. For the record, the current makeup of the Oregon State Senate is 17 Democrats, 12 Republicans, and one Independent. The uh, 2023 20, walkout paralyzed the legislature for weeks. It only ended after Republicans were f uh, forced concessions from Democrats on a bill related to expanding access to abortion and transgender health and another measure regarding the manufacture and transfer of undetectable firearms known as ghost guns. We have to let those go through. But that's how Republicans... Now, quote, legislate. They either take power by gerrymandering themselves into perpetual majorities and then they do whatever they want. Or if they don't have majority control, they take everyone's ball and go home, apparently. If they can't be in charge, nobody can be in charge. Because, you know, legislation and compromise and convincing voters that you have a better, more popular idea, that would be too hard. Legislation is difficult. Compromise is difficult. Finding solutions to real problems can be boring. So, you know, let's just grind everything to a halt instead and raise campaign money. Well, let's take a quick break here and come back with some really boring news. <laughs> it's not boring. It's boring. It's just different. It's not Taylor Swift, it, it, granted, it, it, but... It doesn't necessarily, you know, result in angering the electorate for campaign dollars. It's boring because, you know, it actually solves problems on issues that need to be solved. Who wants to hear that? I realize that's not nearly as sexy as, you know, shutting down entire legislative bodies and therefore it doesn't necessarily even make the news, but after all, that's what the broadcast is for. And, and speaking of stuff that doesn't necessarily make the news, Desi Doyen will also join us for our latest Green News Report a little bit later. That's yep. all ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. 
We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Or you can just walk out for six weeks, grind everything to a halt, and be tossed off the ballot for next year. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. That's what happened in Oregon. But meanwhile, here's a shocking story in the U.S. House. The U.S. House accomplished something unusual on Wednesday. It passed a bill. What? I know. <laughs> uh, more importantly, it passed with broad bipartisan support. The measure is a roughly $79 billion tax package that would enhance the child tax credit for millions of lower-income families and in order to get support from Republicans, for whom helping millions of poor families and children out of poverty is apparently not enough, well, it will also boost three tax breaks for businesses. In other words, to get buy-in from Democrats... They had to help poor families and children with this bill, but to get buy-in from Republicans on it, they had to give tax breaks to wealthy people because that's how it now works. Or at least that's how it used to work. It doesn't generally even work that way anymore, which is why what happened on Wednesday is apparently so unusual. Now, sadly, much of the coverage I have seen, the, the headlines anyway, seem to suggest a bipartisan agreement to boost child tax credits. Hooray! without noting that it only comes because Democrats also agreed to extend some Trump-era tax cuts to corporations. But again, love it or hate it, that's how politics is actually supposed to work. Compromise. You get stuff you like. Uh, we get stuff we like. Nobody gets everything they want, but we all move forward in hopes of making things better. That's how it's supposed to work. As AP reports it, the combination of the two different tax credits to, you know, help poor families and children and to help businesses was a combination that gives lawmakers on both sides of the political aisle coveted policy wins. Now, I might argue that it gives Republicans the biggest win because they can appear to, A, be doing something for working class people, poor people, children, and B, they can appear to be doing, frankly, anything at all since they are unable to pass pretty much anything else, anything at least that has the chance of becoming law since they regained their slim majority at the beginning of last year. Now, at now at least they, they can say, hey, we help poor kids out of poverty <laughs> while going to their corporate donors and saying, hey, we helped you guys again with another tax cut. Three of them. Still, uh, if passed by the Senate, and that's still a big if, it would be a big win for many Americans who need help right now, especially impoverished families with children. GOP House Speaker Mike Johnson called the tax cut bill on the House floor important bipartisan legislation that would revive, quote, conservative pro-growth tax reform. House Republicans were anxious to restore full immediate tax deductions that businesses can take for the purchase of new equipment and machinery and for domestic research and development. 
The bill also provides businesses more flexibility in determining how much borrowing can be deducted from their taxes. Democrats focused on boosting the child tax credit. The tax credit is $2,000 per child per year, but not all of that is refundable, meaning if you don't owe that much in taxes, you can't necessarily get the $2,000 per child back on your taxes. And unlike the business tax cuts, it doesn't all happen right away. The bill would incrementally raise the amount of the credit available as a refund, increasing it to $1,800. $1,800 in the, uh, for 2023 tax returns, $1,900 for the next year, and $2,000 finally for 2025 tax returns. House, uh, household, uh, households benefiting as a result of the changes in the child tax credit would see an average tax cut then of $680 in the first year, according to estimates from the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center. Democrats pushed to restore the more generous tax credit that they passed in 2021 without a single Republican vote. In Joe Biden's uh, first year in office with payments via fully refundable credits, no matter how much you might owe on your taxes, and they occurred on a monthly basis, by the way, those payments. The credit was $3,600 annually, for each child under six and 3,000 for uh, children ages six to 17. And the measure was credited, by the way, with raising more than half of the nation's poorest children out of poverty. But thanks to Republicans, it was only a temporary measure and they have refused to restore it permanently, no matter how many children it helps. But hey, they did do everything they could to help out corporations. Nonetheless, most Democratic House members were willing to take whatever gains they could get through this compromise bill. Democratic Congressman Danny Davis of Illinois, for example, said, quote, You know, I've been told that a half a loaf is better than none. This isn't even half a loaf, he said, but I'm going to vote for it because our families and businesses need help. What's in front of us tonight is pretty simple said uh, Democratic Congressman Richie Neal of Massachusetts. 16 million children will benefit from the improvement to the child tax credit. That's a fact, he said. But for some more progressive Democrats, uh, it wasn't enough. Uh, Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut said, quote, this bill provides billions of dollars in tax relief for the wealthy and pennies for the poor Big corporations are richer than ever. There is no even split, she said. And, of course, for some Republicans, it was just too much, too many pennies for the poor, I guess. Quote, it's welfare by a different name, said Congressman Thomas Massey, Republican of Kentucky. Nonetheless, the measure was adopted by the House with more Democratic votes than Republican votes, but a good number of each. It was adopted on the House floor on Wednesday by a rather lopsided vote of 357 to 70. That's 47 Republicans and 23 Democrats voting against the bill. And now the measure faces opposition from Republicans in the U.S. Senate still. Uh, so it's likely to go through a bunch of changes if it survives at all in the upper chamber. But that's how legislation and problem solving works or is supposed to. It is rare that anyone gets everything that they want. 
But people compromise, they work together, they get what they can, they give up as little as possible, they fight hard, and then they move forward. Which brings me to a related bunch of stuff that I have been trying to get to, uh, frankly, since the year began. But for all of Donald Trump's legal troubles and our COVID troubles, as our friend David Roberts, the uh, environment and energy journalist from Volts, tweeted uh, actually on New Year's Eve. He said, one of the one thing I've been thinking about government in a large, wealthy Functional modern democracy is pretty boring, he tweeted. Lots of bureaucracy, lots of agencies, lots of complexity, lots of rules, mostly incremental change. It's not particularly dramatic. That makes it a very poor fit, he says, for the dynamics and demands of modern media, especially social media. Drama, outrage, sweeping, counterintuitive generalizations, those are the coin of the realm on social media. No one gets clicks by celebrating the workaday operation of the government, uh, government machine, and that is true. Consequently, he notes, boring democratic governance, perhaps the greatest advance in collective human welfare in history, has no day-to-day -day defenders. Basically, everyone is incentivized to just take that for granted, despite the fact that, yeah, arguably it is uh, perhaps the greatest advance in collective human welfare in history. He goes on to cite a thread by Costa Samaris. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think it is. Costa Samaris. Oh, Samaris. Yes. He's a former professor. He is now the uh, Biden administration's principal Assistant Director for Energy and Chief Advisor for Clean Energy Transition at the White House at the Office of Science and Technology Policy. That's a really long title. <laughs> and he, But he uh, posted a long thread with what Roberts describes as, quote, some great examples of what I'm talking about. All these accomplishments are important for the long-term welfare of millions of people, but very few of these dominated headlines, and I doubt most people even know about them. Well, some of them dominated our headlines here on the broadcast, specifically on the Green News Report. But that's only six minutes, and it's hard to fit it all in. So let's see what we can fit in in the minutes we have left before we get to our next Green News Report <laughs> today. There is a long list of accomplishments on climate and energy. Energy. So you know, we likely won't get through them all, but I, I think all of them are worth your actually knowing about. So uh, this is um, Samaras. Is that how you Samaras, say it? Samaras, yes. Samaras. Uh, Samaras is in his intro. Uh, he notes at, at the top of this long thread, again, just before the turn of the new year, he says, quote, as 2023 wraps, I'm reflecting on the Biden-Harris administration's accomplishments in climate and clean energy. I've been working on this topic for over two decades, and there were always lists of good ideas that somebody should do. A lot of those good ideas, he notes, finally got done. So let's run through as many as we can here. We sort of uh, moved like items together, even though that's not how they're posted in Samaras's thread, with each tweet citing an idea and an action that is being directed toward it now by the Biden administration. So on offshore wind, for example, idea, bring clean electricity to the people living near the shore. 
action. Six offshore wind projects have been approved, several record-breaking offshore wind lease auctions, and announced port manufacturing and port investments. On electric vehicles. Oh, wait, before we get yeah. further on offshore yeah. wind, I just yeah. want to point out that it's actually more than six now. I can't remember exactly how many have yeah. already been approved, but New Jersey this week approved mm -hmm. two offshore wind farms. Those are expected to deliver enough electricity to power nearly two million homes. And they will, <laughs> of course, significantly reduce the state's greenhouse gas emissions. Because remember, this saves money on energy costs because renewable energy is cheaper. And it saves money on public health costs because clean energy doesn't kill people like fossil fuel air pollution does. Now, Taz, I've only I've got about twenty of these. I Are know. we gonna? Uh, just kidding. No, go you quick. jump in. No, no, no. You jump in anytime <laughs> you want. It's good information. All right, uh, electric vehicles. Idea: tax credits for EVs should be available right away at the dealership. Action! Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, starting January one of this year, EV buyers can now apply the credit upfront at the dealership instead of when they file their taxes a year or so later. Idea. EV tax credits should also apply to used vehicles. Action. The Inflation Reduction Act makes it possible to get a credit of up to 30% of the purchase price of a used electric vehicle. Up to 30%. Idea. Invest in a nationwide EV charging network to make it easy for folks to save money and cut pollution by driving electric cars. Action. Bipartisan infrastructure law. Invest $7.5 billion to build a national network of 500,000 electric vehicle charging stations. Now, it's important to note here that building a national electric vehicle charging network is going to take time, just like it, it took decades, actually, to build our gasoline station network. Mm -hmm. But we're going faster than that. The U.S. added um, a thousand, uh, more than a thousand EV charging stations just since this past summer. So it's actually happening. It's going to be a bumpy road as this transition occurs, but it is happening. Idea, enable an electric and zero emissions school bus fleet. I think we covered this on uh, Green News Report recently. Yep. Action, the bipartisan infrastructure law invests more than $5 billion for clean school buses. In one community, uh, quote, the principal believes he will save enough money on gas to hire a new teacher. And kids won't be breathing in pollution. Idea, enable an electric and zero emissions transit bus fleet, lowering costs and improving air quality. Action, bipartisan infrastructure law, invest more than $5 billion for clean transit buses, and the number of clean buses on U.S. roadways has already doubled. Idea, electrify postal vehicles because they have predictable routes and charging patterns. Action, the USPS announced a $9.5 billion investment over the next five years to electrify its delivery fleet thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act. And, and I, sh I should note, on the Inflation Reduction Act, not a single Republican vote. Right. And again, this saves money because it saves money for the U.S. Postal Service on energy costs, and it helps uh, reduce pollution in neighborhoods. And we talked about just a week or two ago, I yep. think, of the Green News Report. They are already deploying these electric postal uh, delivery vehicles. Yes, they are. On supply chain and domestic manufacturing, idea. The government should use the Defense Production Act to ensure the supply of critical energy technologies. Action. 
The president authorized the Department of Energy to use the Defense Production Act to rapidly expand American manufacturing of five critical clean energy technologies. Idea. The government should lead by example and decarbonize its vehicles and buildings. Action. The president signed an executive order that will reduce emissions across federal operations and invest in American clean energy industries and manufacturing. Now, a couple of things on that. Uh, we've been talking on the Green News Report about how hundreds of billions of dollars of new manufacturing investment in the United States has come from the Infrastructure Act and the Chips and Science Act and the Inflation Reduction Act. In other words, Biden is reshoring manufacturing in the United States mm -hmm. to make a resilient supply chain, which we found out was very important mm -hmm. during the pandemic after our U.S. supply chain had been dismantled over the last 40 years. And so uh, right now, the Defense Production Act is helping to back up those private sector investments. Mm -hmm. And it's creating jobs. <laughs> and, and, you know, you get the idea here. I mean, these are things that have a real effect in real communities around the nation, have a real effect also on our climate. But, you know, they're kind of boring. So they don't <laughs> get all the attention and the outrage, uh, you know, on, unless Fox News decides they're against it. So, and then they'll rage about it for, for weeks on end. Yeah, and also this particular part of it is using the power of the federal purse. The U.S. Mm -hmm. government is one of the largest purchasers in the wor world of goods and services. So we're talking Here, about solar panel manufacturing, electric vehicle manufacturing, heat pumps, batteries, building insulation. Replacing every lead service pipe in the country. Every toxic lead service water. pipe, water Cleaning pipe up our in water. the country. Yeah. Um, there w and here's one. Uh, <laughs> action. Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act and the president's implementation, there will be 16 Hoover Dams worth of battery storage on the grid next year. He means in 2024. Samra's notes. Uh, no, actually, he means in 25. Samra's oh, notes. Yeah. Before the Biden and Harris administration, grid connected oh. energy storage was basically zero. This year, there will be nine Hoover Dams worth of batteries on the grid. Next year, 16 Hoover Dams worth. These are huge, huge investments. If you've ever toured the Hoover Dam, you know it was a big deal when it happened. It's still a big deal. It still provides a lot of electricity. Now we're talking about adding six of 16 new ones, and no one pretty much has bothered to notice. And the important thing about the batteries is that they're the ones that prevent the blackouts. So when you have some major, uh, major storm, like, mm -hmm. say, Texas went through, if you'll notice, Texas did not have a major blackout during this last cold snap because Texas decided to invest in batteries. When, and it worked. When you can't use wind or solar power for whatever reason, battery power still continues to work. Yes. Investment in passenger rail and public transit, uh, the largest investment in passenger rail since the creation of Amtrak 50 years ago. High-speed rail is on the way. Abandoned oil and gas wells should be plugged so they stop spewing methane, a strong climate pollutant. Well, action. The bipartisan uh, infrastructure law provided nearly $5 billion to plug abandoned wells. Work is now underway. Tens of 10,000 wells are eligible. That, of course, means lots of jobs. To plug those wells, clean them up, for all of us, 
Uh, the list goes on and on. Uh, renters and homeowners can use efficiency and clean energy incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act to save money and have cleaner air in their homes. Also, there's a investment in green infrastructure, like upgrading flood controls and upgrading groundwater recharge so stormwater is actually useful instead of just becoming a big flood. Um, urban heat management mm-hmm. to help cities uh, create ways for their residents to survive extreme heat waves. The Inflation Reduction Act provides $11 billion to bring affordable clean energy to rural and tribal communities. Bi- the bipartisan infrastructure law provides funding to electri- electrify ports and ferries. You get the idea. These are all boring things. Maybe not to us, but boring things, I guess, (laughs) to people on on social media that folks do not tend to yell and scream about on social media. Therefore, the corporate media does not usually bother to let folks know about it. It's just built that way. That's how democracy works when you move things forward. But, you know, that doesn't work uh, well necessarily for an administration who has done all of these remarkable things and almost nobody knows about it. What are your key takeaways before we uh, take a break and come back with GNR, Desi Doyen? Well, from what Costa Samaras says, he says, listen, this is all working. The bipartisan infrastructure law and the Inflation Reduction Act are huge climate policies, and the U.S. is now on track to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 40 percent below 2005 levels by 2030. In other words, we're going to meet the targets. And with additional federal, state, local, and private measures, the U.S. can get to a 50 percent reduction in carbon emissions by 2030. So he makes the point that the budget is policy. The bipartisan infrastructure law, the Inflation Reduction Act are all improving people's lives right now and are cutting climate pollution. And I would say to uh, folks, uh, a lot of folks out there critical, uh, you know, climate folks critical of the Biden administration that they're not doing enough. I would say, A, I agree with you. And yep. B, do you think any of these things would have happened under a Donald Trump administration? By the way, how many of these things may just go away under a Donald Trump administration? Please keep that in mind. As we move forward to Election Day, got to take a quick break and we'll move forward to our Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. And that was sort of like an extended Green News report there. <laughs> yes, it was. That was a lot more than we could ever get into six minutes. Let's see how much we can get into these six minutes on our latest Green News report. Aramco, the largest oil company in the world, will cut its planned maximum sustainable oil production capacity. Saudi Arabia ditches plans to expand oil production. Millions of Americans at risk of dangerous chemical train derailments, new study finds, plus... And the new rules are all about saving money. Biden Energy Department issues new efficiency rules for gas stoves. All of those new rules and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Joe Biden's climate change 
trend now targeting your kitchen. Biden's coming for your gas stove. A ban on your gas stove. Ban gas-powered stoves. The White House is now attempting to ban all gas ovens. Turns out, not so much. Thanks anyway, Fox News. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm very disappointed that Joe Biden isn't coming over to haul my old stove away. By himself. Exactly. Uh, That said, sort of big news in that uh, John Podesta will be replacing John Kerry as the new special envoy for climate for Joe Biden? Yes, it is a big deal. John Podesta has a very long and very good reputation for working on climate action. Well, that's good. What else you got for us today? Well, first, big news for global oil markets. Saudi Arabia has ordered its state-owned oil company, Aramco, one of the biggest petroleum producers in the world, to ditch plans to increase production and instead maintain cuts that it instituted last year to boost global oil prices. Well, knock me over with a feather. In an election year, go figure. The lack of an explanation for the surprise reversal has fueled speculation that it is potentially a sign that the Saudi kingdom has grown more pessimistic about the outlook for oil demand worldwide as the global transition toward decarbonization progresses, undermining long-term investment in fossil fuel projects. Some pundits have also suggested a political angle in that tightening supply now could boost retail gas prices on U.S. consumers in a critical election year. Yeah, there you go. As we go to air, President Biden is set to visit East Palestine, Ohio, to mark the one-year anniversary of the catastrophic toxic train derailment that spilled massive amounts of the combustible carcinogenic chemical vinyl chloride, which was then incinerated by emergency response to avert a wider explosion, in turn unleashing long-term health and environmental impacts for the community. Nailed it. The Washington Post reports that the Biden administration continues to send a steady stream of funding and resources to East Palestine and is enforcing the cleanup by Norfolk Southern, the rail company that is responsible. And the EPA has launched a formal reevaluation of the risks of vinyl chloride. But a new analysis of rail shipment routes released this week shows that more than 3 million Americans at any given moment are routinely and unknowingly at risk from trains carrying dangerous vinyl chloride between Texas and New Jersey. The report from nonprofit environmental health group Toxic Free Future details the communities at risk and calls for banning transport of vinyl chloride by rail and eventually a total phase-out of the toxic chemical. How much you want to bet Republicans are against it? Well, they already blocked rail safety reform six months ago. There you go. In other news, this week the Department of Energy unveiled heavily anticipated new energy efficiency standards for natural gas stoves. In a compromise with U.S. manufacturers, the scaled-back new rules for stoves will start in 2028 and will save consumers money on their energy bills while reducing greenhouse gas emissions and indoor air pollution. Sounds terrible. I'm outraged. Now, what does that mean for your kitchen? Nothing. Contrary to disinformation peddled by right-wing media and Republican politicians, the new energy efficiency standards are not a ban. They never were. And they don't affect stoves currently in use. And most stoves on the market today already meet the new standards. Shocking. 
Good news on the benefits of large solar farms. A five-year study of utility-scale farms that are planted with wildflowers and native grasses has found that the farms are a haven for plants and insects. The study found total insect abundance tripled on the sites and increased the diversity of native insect pollinators and agriculturally beneficial insects. Butterflies, honeybees, and native bees, whose populations have been severely impacted by overuse of pesticides, showed a 20-fold increase in their numbers. Finally, some good news for breathers in the European Union. Lawmakers have reached a deal on new emission standards for heavy trucks and buses that will gradually phase out most diesel-powered engines by 2040. Heavy-duty diesel-powered trucks make up only 3% of Europe's road traffic but generate more than 30% of its pollution. The diesel phase-out will help Europe meet its climate targets and clean up air pollution. Well, great. So how long is it going to be before Joe Biden is coming for my dirty diesel engine? I'll check with Fox News. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Just keep chugging on. There you go. Yep. Thank you much to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of yes. you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, well, you just truck on over to bradblog.com where you can download this show or any other we have ever done for free. That's at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves now that we are in our 21st year. And apparently running our 20 for 20 campaign. <laughs> Donate uh, $20. That's $1 a year for the 20 years we've been slogging away here. Much appreciated. Thank you in advance. Drop me an email. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Mastodons, and site still known as Twitter, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. See you there. Till we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Chugging like the dude I made. Once told me you got to pay your hand sometimes because it's worth a dime if you don't pay them down.